If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be furious and fiery, and here's why. In this episode, we're finding some answers to why would we return to the giant's realm so soon? And how can we hit a middle ground between so terrifying the party runs and so intriguing the party wants to derail the campaign to live among them? <laughs> and which badass can we base a fire giant on? Welcome to the Hook and Chance Podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. Awaken, Iron. Yeah, that's the line. <laughs> we are getting back into some of the baddest assets to giants that exist. And I'm so excited to do this. And really, we just jumped back in because we got a lot of really good feedback on the last couple of giant episodes that came before this. Yeah, we had a wonderful new member of our Discord... They came in because they were so excited about our giant episodes and using giants in their games, and they wanted a fire giant episode. And so we said, ah, screw it. Let's do it again. Yeah, and they're fun to make. So hopefully you're okay to get down with some more giants. So this is something that I love. I love the giants, specifically the fire giants. I spent a long time as one. Oh, <laughs> traveling the world as a fire giant. Yes. No, <laughs> as inhabiting one as the DM for Storm King's Thunder, and much of your campaign kind of revolved around the fire giants and what they were doing. And uh, I don't know, they were a ton of fun to run, but were they good? They were high energy and kind of like chaotic and frenetic, and they were fun but they didn't feel super deep as a type of giant. Yeah, those are interesting impressions because hindsight being twenty twenty, I kind of wish that I'd run them a little bit differently. As every DM wishes they did after every single game. <laughs> <laughs> and I wish we'd done this episode then because I think what you and I have kind of crafted in here is just a lot more fun and a lot more rich. And when I did run Storm King's Thunder for you guys... I kind of felt like they weren't worth interacting with. They were just an obstacle to be overcome. While that's fun and terrifying, it's not really roleplay heavy. Like, it's not something that you really want to dig into. So how do we make fire giants more than just a big, terrifying, red-haired menace? Yeah, that stands from a distance and intimidates the shit out of you yeah. until they're bashing you into the soft earth. <laughs> And I think the danger with a lot of giants, and this is, of course, my basic approach, is just like, ah, giants big. Big giants. Focus on their bigness. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, okay, <laughs> that's a vein that only runs so deep. Yeah. So you can describe the stompings, and you can describe their size. Oh, there's a thing that towers at the same height as the trees. So when you meet a fire giant, you can either fight them or you can interact with them. And if you fight them, then they're just a big stat block. And I think with so many types of giants in the world, as a DM, it's really easy to run into the problem of like, how do I distinguish them all? That's why we started this whole giant crusade. Then you 
potentially role play with them. So then everything just becomes about fire. They're fire. They like fire. They're fiery. Fiery temper. <laughs> fiery hair. And it, it can't go any deeper unless you've really sat down and tried to explore them a little bit more, which we did, which is what this episode is all about. Heck yeah. So if you're ready to explore fire giants with us, we'll do so in the Kinship Camp. This is Kinship Camp, where rich histories and diverse quirks are explored between weary adventurers around the safety of the fire. All right, so as a recap for the stuff we've blabbed about so far that you need to know for this episode, there's six types of giants. They all spawn from the same core culture of giants. We built that core culture with our culture creator, and now we're going to build a subculture of fire giants from that original culture. Excuse me, Jordan, but I have a correction, please. Please don't. Shut up and say I'm right. There are seven giants. Oh, all right. I allow this correction. We made a sand giant as well. Yes. Anyways, let the record show that Travis was right. And that Jordan was also right. And I'm putting a mark on the tally. One more for Travis. (laughs) We'll see who's most right by the end of this. So the beginning of that culture creator is values. And we like to give each culture six values because they give you so much direction to role play with. Each subculture could then easily be built off of that original set of values. So here's what we determined were the original values for giants. We got intuition at the cost of objectivity. We've got art at the cost of empathy. Cleverness at the cost of safety. Tradition at the cost of justice. Bravery at the cost of reflection. And community at the cost of progress. And here's what we did to determine what separates the fire giants. So we've got this culture of all giants based on what they hold dear and what they're willing to sacrifice to support those. And to differentiate the fire giants, all we have to do is swap out one of those values with a new one. And now we've made a subculture of a culture. And so with fire, we exchanged intuition for craft work. And kind of an intense focus on bravery along with that craft work. Yeah. Yeah. So we kind of gave them a different focal point of their like highest value. Yeah. So now we can start diving into the juice that comes from pulping up a fire giant. <laughs> the, the, the wonderful, tasty squeezins <laughs> of a fire giant. That's not part of it. Gross. The next step is crafting their beliefs based on those values. So... All each value needs is a statement that kind of encapsulates a belief and it feels so much more real. So we just take each one of those values and we craft a statement of purpose around them, kind of? How somebody would actually express it when talking normal human style. (laughs) So like for craft work, for example, those that are able to use the strongest materials in the forge are those worthy of the craft. Ooh, it is not easy. It is not delicate but it works. See, I like that because it has like, I don't know, this even bleeds into their ideas on art and practicality to the extreme. So are they putting ornate edges on their tables? No, they're just big old slabs. 
They're ruthlessly efficient. It's nothing but practice and repetition, and anything fanciful doesn't really have a purpose. The better it works is their measure of art. Yeah. How efficient is this hammer at smashing skulls? <laughs> Super. It is a fine piece of art. It is sharp on the tip. <laughs> Gets into skulls real good. If they had a museum, it would be very boring for us, but it would just be like, this table hasn't broken in 100 years. See, that's that's cool. Yeah. And I think that could bleed over to their other art forms as well. Like, you know, if they do have music, it's artistic because it keeps really good time. Yeah. It's just one horn note blown <laughs> 50, 60 times in a row. Check out this new track. It's 16 hours long and it's Jerry just tooting the horn <laughs> in the corner. <laughs> DJ Cinder over there on the horn. <laughs> They probably have drums, I guess. That's a little more gianty. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about their cleverness. Well, their cleverness, kind of in contrast to like, if you did listen to the Sand Giant episode, we were talking about how they create all kinds of unique tools to prove their cleverness to each other. Mm. But the Fire Giants, their cleverness is probably how you can just get things done as quick as possible. So when that comes to their combat, they're just going to hit hard and fast. There's no showmanship to their martial prowess. It's just, you know, go for the face, go for the junk, take them down as fast as humanly possible. It's so cool. It's so cool when it's over in five seconds or less. Yeah. You're more clever the more practice you've put into it. Yeah. You're not clever if this is your first time trying to kick someone in the junk. <laughs> <laughs> you got to practice that shit. <laughs> Yeah, and I wonder what that would really look like between two super-practiced fire giant fighters. It looks like a chess match, but it's like, okay, what is my opponent going to do first? And I'm going to do the immediate thing that I can think of to counter it. And it's basically just who's super clever in combat and who can think quick enough and study their opponent enough to put them down faster than they even realize what happened. Yeah, it's not a dance to them. On that kind of note, what about their like adaptability? Because if they're just practicing all the time, does that mean that they kind of maintain some flexibility or do they just toss it out? I think they, yeah, it's all about flexibility. The way that they train to fight, they learn where to hit and how to hit, but they don't go through like martial arts routines or anything like that. I think they believe routine gets you dead. If you cannot adapt to a new threat, you will die. Oh, you know, when the, your opponent does this, you go into this position and then move to the left. And then because if you're doing that, then you're easily predicted and therefore you can be bested very quickly. And this is actually really grounded in reality because I read about this in Malcolm Gladwell's book Blink. And I think it applies really well to the way fire giants think. So Paul Van Riper set up a military exercise in 2002 in the U.S. military called the Millennium Challenge. There was a blue team that was much larger with plans, strategies, computer simulations, all this stuff to predict the battle. And they went up against the smaller red team led by Van Riper, who is an experienced and self-confident combat leader, strategist. Interesting. And he's very good at making quick decisions. So Van Riper quickly surprised the blue team and threw so many surprises at them so quickly 
that he did massive damage in a short amount of time. So this was a simulation. This wasn't a real exercise. Right. It was all, it was very expensive. Like it, it made such a splash and they thought that the blue team was going to win and they thought they were going to prove their theories correct, but it made, it embarrassed the hell out of the U.S. military as Van Riper's like, look guys, all this planning ain't getting you shit. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Malcolm Gladwell said, and he was so effective that in the book, it says, if it had been real, 20,000 service men and women would have been killed before their own army had even fired a shot. Rough. See, yeah, you're right. I think that totally encapsulates the kind of vibe that we're going for. Is just like ruthless efficiency through tactics, through thinking on your feet, and through, you know, a little bit of uh, ingenuity and surprise. Yeah, surprise your enemy. I think that they would kind of throw out this idea of honorable combat. It's efficient combat. Yeah. So, like, they're not ever going to give the enemy even a chance to think. They're just going to surprise attack. There's no there's no firing lines here. They're, they're not <laughs> setting up combat. This is guerrilla warfare. And, yeah, they're just going straight for the jugular. But does that not fly in the face of our value of bravery, then? I don't think so. How so? What do you think? I guess you can't really confuse bravery with honor. Not at all. So they're not honorable, but they're incredibly brave? Absolutely. Okay. I guess that kind of makes a lot of sense. Like, felling anything bigger, tougher, stronger, because there are so few things bigger, tougher, and stronger than a fire giant. Yeah. That's some serious kudos. You're walking around with your chest out going, yeah. I'm the biggest and the baddest because I took down a dragon that was twice my size. Or this crew of fire giants, this squad fell, you know, went in and cleared out a whole dragon lair. <laughs> and I think that those bigger things are the only things that could come close to inspiring fear in a giant. And I think when we look at bravery, you need to acknowledge that bravery is overcoming your fear of a situation, right? Yeah. So, yeah, they're looking for shit that's supposed to scare them into submission. And that's almost terrifying in and of itself. Like, what do you think of the thing that you're afraid of being afraid of another thing and taking it down? <laughs> I know That was really convoluted, but I think you get my meaning. Yeah, it's like, it's a little terrifying when a giant is walking around with, you know, the skull of a dragon for a hat which, of course, is on the cover of the player's handbook of D&D. <laughs> yeah. So, like, that really kind of captures that tone and that vibe that we're going for. And I really like the idea of, like, traveling across a landscape and seeing some fire giants just being like, oh, get the hell out of their way. Where are they going? What are they doing? Are they going for the city? No, they're going to find something bigger and badder than them. <laughs> right? <laughs> Don't get in their way. <laughs> That's so cool. All right. Well, what about the last one of community? I don't think this one's too complicated. Like, they kind of just see a good community like a good army. Everyone knows their role and executes it with discipline, and everything just works like it should. Hmm. Yeah. Militaristic and very, very honed and, you know, going back to the whole practice thing. But they know that the community is a way for them to be stronger as a group as well as an individual. I mean, if your prerogative is training and combat and fighting all the time, 
And it's really hard to find something bigger and meaner than you other than other giants, dragons, and true monstrosities like Tarasks and stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, who else are you going to turn to? You're going to turn to your community and you're going to practice with each other and you're going to bash the living shit out of one another yeah. in preparation for the time when things change, when you you got to go into battle. <laughs> I like the idea of coming across the first fire giant you do come across in a lair or something, and they're just bruised from head to toe. Oh, they're so messed up, and you're just like, "What? What did this to you, <laughs> my, my buddies?" <laughs> oh, just training. <laughs> Rough. What do you not do this? Yeah, where's your bruises? And like, I wonder if those giants would even see the players as regular humanoid-sized as a threat. Are they just pests that are running around their fortress? Yeah, like, <laughs> that's an interesting They're not even point. worth fighting, really. They're kind of boring. I think unless, yeah, they would probably see humanoids as below their need to prove their bravery. Yeah. But if the humanoids exhibit intense bravery, then the giants might pay attention because if you follow that up, like, a super brave fire giant takes down a massive dragon. Mm -hmm. Therefore, a super brave humanoid might just have the stones to take down a fire giant if he's not paying attention. Yeah. It kind of elicits in me the idea of like kicking a small dog. It's not like, that's not a nice or honorable thing to do. Nobody's nobody's applauding you. He's like, yeah, you took on that tiny chihuahua. But when that tiny chihuahua goes at you, you're like, oh, shit, actually, I do have a little respect for this <laughs> tiny scrapper. Holy shit. Meanwhile, if you're going out to wrestle a timber wolf, people are like, that's a badass. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, I think we got the beliefs down pretty good. Let's move on to the cultural backstory part of our culture creator. So this one's always kind of challenging for me because it's like, do you go off of Forgotten Realms lore or do you just kind of freewheel it wing it you're on your own i think the best approach for me now is take what i like scrap what i don't pretty well if we're gonna recap forgotten realms lore really quick so anim the allfather had a giant kingdom so so long ago uh largely before the ages of other peoples split the kingdom called astoria among his favorite children and each could have a part and kind of rule it. And there's all the different like giant types there. And then after a thousand year war with dragons, Astoria fell. And as a part of Astoria, they created a class system called the Ordening. Where each giant is literally ordered like one through six. Yeah, they like made it. It's super, super classist. They wanted to make sure that no giants ever saw themselves as equals to other types of giants which is kind of a shitty thing for your dad to do. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'd say so. <laughs> thanks, Dad, for not instilling which one of us was superior, <laughs> although we know that I'm the oldest, so therefore... Anyways. Uh, <laughs> got daggerized there for a moment. That does not denote superiority. <laughs> Older and wiser. So, yeah, it really kind of... that That was it. Like, that's the ordning. And it, I don't know, I don't really understand. Ah, well, well, whatever. So, <laughs> that was very um, <laughs> eloquent. Was, yeah, you yeah. like that? Yeah. All right. So, we have a kind of an idea of what these giants went through in their teen years. 
<laughs> the first question in our culture backstory is what environment did the culture form in? Well, I think this is where we kind of have to deviate because based on our belief system and our value system, so swapping a value out for each one of the giant types lends itself really well for each giant type to have looked at Anum the Allfather in a bit of a different light. Since their generations upon generations removed, each one of them would maybe start to develop their own ideas of what Anum was all about and say like, no, trust me, trust me, trust me. Anum the Allfather was about war and battle and crafting the toughest weapons that could possibly ever exist. Yeah. And that would drive a wedge between all of these different offshoots of giants saying, no, nah, man, he was all about art and he was smart and he was all about knowledge. Well, we're going to go Sophisticated. off and be cloud giants. Yeah. But yeah, these are the kind of ideals and ideas that drive a wedge between cultures. So uh, they thought that the interpretation of Adam the Allfather and what he wanted for giant kind and all of his descendants, they would find honestly disgusting. He was a warrior without equal. That's the final yeah. say on his story. Exactly. Cool. The next question is what existed before the culture, which you've kind of covered. It was just that singular giant culture that came from Anum. Yeah. And then like a culturally defining moment would be the, uh, the fall of Astoria. And the separation of all of those different giant types, they all were spread here, there, and everywhere. And now there's small giant clans of each giant type spread all over the world. They left the nest. Yeah. And I think one of the most important questions is what world problem drives the culture to persist? So this one I struggled with a lot, especially when I DM'd Storm King's Thunder. And thinking about it more now, I loved and hated the ordning because... I don't understand why they wouldn't just rally against it. If a whole bunch of different giant types kind of hate their place in the ordning yeah. and they want to fight and vie for the top spot as soon as it's broken, what was keeping it held high in the first place? Was it just the might of the storm giants being at the top, being like, nah, y'all stay down there? It almost felt like it was supposed to be some kind of more mystical, magical thing keeping them all in place. Yeah, some kind of tether, but... I kind of dig this because I can work with this. So the ordning is in place. It states that the fire giants are kind of like lower middle in there. And that's all well and good. But if you think that your ideas are right, are the most right, then you're waiting for the moment and you're training and practicing. Your entire culture is fighting so that you can show dominance. And I don't want to drop any spoilers for Storm King's Thunder, but... The way that the fire giants are going about asserting their dominance in that book is really weird. It's kind of flimsy. So I would definitely see this as like, this is their Super Bowl. <laughs> they've been practicing all year and they've been fighting and fighting okay. and fighting. And now it is time to fucking go. <laughs> <laughs> They're just waiting for their chance. They are so jacked up because they have been fighting for generations, making the best weapons that they can because this is their time to assert themselves. Yeah, more like the Olympics. And if the ordning is in place, well, then that's what they're prepping for. It's just this constant and almost obsessive 
need to just keep getting better. Yeah. And that's the only reason why they're kind of off on their own, is they're sitting there practicing against one another for this day to come. And I also like this because they're keeping themselves real busy doing that. (laughs) And they're still open to other cultures coming in because like they can learn from other cultures. Mm-hmm. They can learn new techniques, new ways to jab out someone's eyes, new whatever. They need to kind of keep tabs on other giant cultures as well as going like, what are they up to? And can we best them when the time comes? Yeah. So it gives them a reason to not only be <laughs> the aggressive, angry fire giants that we kind of see in our heads, but also willing to have a conversation But just that's percolating in the background of like, how can I destroy this person when I need to? So are you saying that if the party went to like a cloud giant kingdom, they meet one cloud giant that's way shorter and has got a long gray wig on. (laughs) (laughs) Infiltrated the cloud giant. Yeah. Yes, I am cloud giant. (laughs) No, he's just got a giant cardboard box with two eye holes cut out, and he's, like, making his way. Solid snake style. Yes, that's much (laughs) more appropriate. Let's go through some of our cultural details. So this is where we get into some of the nitty-gritty. How do we interpret all of these values and beliefs into something that is tangible? Because this is the most important part. This is the stuff that might actually make it into the game. Yeah. (laughs) The pulp of the juice. So the dream life of the giants is probably to be the best combatant possible, like you were just saying. And like, if you are the best combatant in any given fire giant society, you're probably pretty high up. Yeah, like almost a decorated soldier. And I could see, you know, in an average everyday kind of example, that shit is clanking and smacking against their armor as they walk around because they're so well decorated. Oh. They've been giving gifts of tribute saying, no, you kicked the living shit out of me. Here you go. That was that was a good fight. They're kind of into adornments mm. of like strength. But what if those adornments weren't as much clanky? But what if like every time they were given something from one of their fights, they welded it into their armor. There we go. Mandalorian style. You've earned this oh, symbol. Yeah. That's right. There we go. Yeah. So they have even a personal brand or something like that. Ooh, that's cool. All right. We Whether that there. goes with their family or just individuals. Yeah. yeah. So we've established that their kind of major challenge is to one day uh, assert themselves as the top of the food chain when it comes to the giant cultures. Yeah. What about a friendly culture that works with them? Well, that doesn't sound right with fire giants, but uh, I think that they would definitely respect other fire giant cultures. They wouldn't be at odds with each other. But maybe also like Dwergar because they're good with the forge and they live deep in the mountains. I mean, all dwarves kind of do, but Dwergar might not have the honor that regular dwarves have as well. And I could honestly see the Dwargar being able to fight a fire giant like they can grow. Ooh, that's true. You have a decent opponent to do some scrapping with. Yeah. And so there's a mutual respect there. And the Dwargar can also turn invisible when they want to. Yeah. So that might be like a trick that they respect almost. 
like a way to get a leg up in combat. Yeah, I dig that. And also Fomorians, I think just for their strength. Yeah, there, I think there's certainly different cultures that they could see as almost a decent cultural exchange, like the Dwergar for some of their craftsmanship and maybe some of their technology yeah that they are good at and since they can they got those tiny little fingers <laughs> when they shrink down you know maybe they're pretty helpful in that respect too yeah and the fomorians are a type of giant that exists outside of the ordning so yeah i can see them being like you're fine you're not my enemy totally what about a hostile creature i think we can stick with the established hostile dragons for giants i really do love the history between giants and dragons. Like there's something pretty good and rich there that I definitely want to stick with. So. Yeah. And it totally fits to have little groups of fire giants, you know, just going to take down dragons because it'll prove themselves. I love that. You know, they gather a strike team of five. Yeah. Which they see as maybe an even fight or maybe a little bit of a better odds against a giant red dragon, like an adult red dragon or something like that. Maybe they even send one in at a time and bolster the crew as needed. Yeah. So it's like, okay, one-on-one to start, and you're probably not going to win, but if you do, it's going to be so cool. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so what kind of like cultural activities would they participate in? We already kind of established that they do training together. I think, you know, training it as a squad, as well as training in each role of a squad. In the monster manual, you've got the fire giant juggernaut that wields two massive spiked shields. So that's a position in that squad. Yeah. And then you've got somebody who wears lighter armor, the quote unquote rogue of the group, even though they are not stealthy by (laughs) any means, No, but stays nimble, stays mobile, and is extremely deadly. Then you've got, you know, shot putters, that are ready to shot put rocks yeah. and they're the rangers. Yeah. So you've got like all of these different groups and different roles, functions within the team. Yeah. Exactly. And I really like the idea that they're constantly fighting each other, but maybe they take that to other groups of fire giants as well. Mm. So maybe to stay at the top of their game, they regularly go to war with other fire giant groups, but not to actually wipe each other out. <laughs> it's like a mutually agreed event. You've just described a friendly war. <laughs> yeah, they go to friendly war. It's like war games almost, <laughs> but somebody does get their face punched. Yeah, a lot. But I think that they do this because attacking like a humanoid city and defeating it would feel pointless to them because they don't need to be brave or clever. They just need to go in kicking shit down. Yeah. And it's like too easy. It's not even a challenge. So why do it? It's not going to make us better. 40 giants could show up outside of the walls of some city and just wipe it off the face of the earth. Yeah. So who gives a shit? It's not fun. But if we go head to head with people that have trained as hard as us and are as big as us. Yeah, I dig that. I also like to think about the way that they might approach combat because like in some of the supplements from like the mid 90s, If you go back to some of that stuff in Giant Craft, for instance, it actually described them as their eyes being in particular uh, highly capable at seeing through hazes and shimmers often associated with hot temperatures and hot environments. So the steam and stuff like that. So I love the idea of like seeing this huge fog cloud because they've been throwing water 
like they have these like little water grenades or something like that to throw onto a lava, uh, you know, their chosen battlegrounds. Yeah. And as adventurers, seeing this weird localized foggy area from a very far distance, like a mountain peak, and then hearing clashes and bangs coming <laughs> from within it. Oh, and just seeing like sparks flying out of it kind of thing. Totally. Like lights. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like lightning within that yeah. cloud. Ooh. And they would use that kind of stuff to their advantage when they are fighting, say, like a group of adventurers. Why would a fire giant, if they can see through haze and fog, they're hunting you. That's terrifying. <laughs> God, I want to be hunted by giants. That sounds awful. <laughs> well, they do take captives, apparently. Yeah, that's a part of the Forgotten Realms lore that I'm tired of. <laughs> Well, yeah, Fire Giants and Forgotten Realms lore are slavers. And honestly, we're so, like, it's just there to be an evil thing. Yeah, we noticed that, like, every evil thing, it's got a, a disclaimer at the beginning that just says, like, yeah, these creatures enslave these creatures. It honestly, it reads like Old Testament genealogy, where it's like, and this creature, the fire giants, enslave the Fomorians, and the Fomorians enslave the Fae. And if you like go through the wiki, just like every link, every new page just starts with what they enslave. And it's kind of fucked. <laughs> like oh, it's, absolutely. Other than it being just there and not really making any sense, it's boring and kind of lazy. But when everything does it, it's kind of annoying. Yeah. It's too much. So what can we do to turn it into something that's actually useful? Well, based on everything we've talked about with fire giants so far, what interest would they have with humanoids? Well, they don't want to fight them because they're not a true challenge, but some cities might actually have resources that these fire giants would want. So maybe it would be more like a robbery. Okay. So to imprison humanoids, they would haul out some huge iron walls from their fortresses and bring them down the mountains and just plant them around a village, like an office cubicle, almost. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and just look over the walls and they could announce something along the lines of, hey, you stay in here or you're going to get killed. We're going to go trade with the nearby city. We're going to go trade your village for some resources from the nearby city. <laughs> because they want them in such quantities that, like, no one person is going to have this. They need to go to an entire kingdom and be like, give us literally all of your iron and we'll release this town. <laughs> that works a lot better than the whole, like, giants are raiding the countryside. And it's like, why, though? Yeah. Why? <laughs> and then it also, like... Why would fire giants, even if they wanted to, bring people back to their fortresses and like care for them? And even if they wanted them to do work, it's like they suck at it. I could absolutely see the fire giants being much more interested in this like symbiotic relationship with the Duragar. Hardworking, they want their slag or runoff from all of their iron work. And like the two, the Duragar have made an incredible city underneath the fire giant fortress yeah. or like that makes a ton more sense to me yeah and it's just a lot more fun to explore because then your adventurers get inside the fire giant fortress and then they find out that they're sitting literally on the 
top of a Duragar settlement. <laughs> and now we have this problem to deal with. Holy shit. Maybe we can turn them against each other and all that fun stuff. Yeah, but... there's way more story options available there. Yeah. All right. How about an artifact? So what if they traded Anum's anvil and hammer, the mythical items that Anum himself used? So you've got this like wonderfully, uh, you know, tough and rough and well-used anvil. Ancient anvil, yeah. Yeah, it's like traded between each clan when they best each other in the war games. Cool. So it's like the uh, sports trophy yeah. equivalent. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. What about a tool? Well, I had kind of a fun idea for this one, and I simply call it the fire hammer. <laughs> okay. So you're familiar with a hammer toss. All right. There's basically that metal ball at the end of a chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Swing it around. Okay, yeah. That's the Olympic yeah. Yeah, hammer toss. Got it. Well, I think it'd be really cool if fire giants used this because well, I think that the fire giants would, would throw rocks this way. Unlike all the other giants that just like they shot put a rock. Well, the fire giants are like, how can we do this more cleverly and more aggressively? Yeah. So they do the hammer toss. But the twist here is, of course, fire. So they can either use it as a direct attack, hit their enemy, and their enemy lights on fire. Sure. Or they could just toss it, and a line of fire would be created behind the ball. Ah, so it's like almost like leaking a long-burning liquid like oil. Yes. Okay. That will burn for a long time, and it'll burn hot because they're fire giants. Come on. <laughs> so what they could do with this, so if you got two fire giants that are staring down an enemy and they both toss one of these things, well, the paths of both of their tosses could cross, creating a V that that enemy is now trapped in, and they can't escape from the rear. Ah, so they can only basically face down the giants that are ahead of them yes. or run through flaming hot walls <laughs> of fire. Yes. That's ruthless. They could also use this to create the boundaries of their own fights. So if two fire giants are going to go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, they could just toss a couple of these, and all of a sudden it's an epic fight within the fire. Ooh, I love the idea of this standoff between two fire giants and four fire giants just bowl these, creating basically a ring. Yeah. Like a boxing ring of fire. <laughs> it's like, this is happening now. Everyone throw down. It's Watch on. this fight. Yeah. Uh, so what about uh, an animal? This has kind of been established in the lore as well. Hellhounds. Oh, yeah. It's just a badass combo. They use them for tracking. Maybe each giant bonds with a hellhound and it's like a, a meaningful pet see i like that because even bad guys have some sentimentality towards something so even the warlike fire giants just cuddling with their hellhounds <laughs> the fire scratching bother. them bellies <laughs> they go from super aggressive dogs to just like the happy dog when their owner comes right <laughs> yeah because that thing feeds them yeah uh, all right, now we're down to the nitty-gritty, like their style. We're going heavy metal style. Well, sure. Actually, one of my favorite all-time concept art was actually some of the concept art used for Storm King's Thunder. And they have this kind of like just very basic but jagged metal kind of texture for them. If you just, if you Google Fire Giant concept art, you'll find it. And there's one that is, you know, it kind of shows them in scale. But just the style that they'd established of this like raw, very pragmatic, uh, not decorated, but it's kind of got a texture to it. 
and they've got like a, a dragon skin belt wrapped around them. <laughs> like it's very just rough and raw. Yeah, the metal is all pounded. Like you can tell it has that texture to it. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to put a ton of detail into this armor. It's not going to be elaborate armor because they're going to bash it up. And I want to be able to take off a shoulder plate and take my trusty hammer that I just keep on my belt and hammer that sucker back out. Mm. I want to use my Hellhound's fire breath to soften it up a little bit so I can smack it back into place, put it back on, and we're ready to go. Quick forge, we call them. Yeah, so it's not going to be fancy. It's got to survive high temperatures. It's going to get cut and banged up, so let her be. Let her look and show all of the battles that you've been in. And all of their clothes have to endure fire. So, like you said, they're probably using dragon hide a lot of the time. Can you imagine just like white cotton tidy whiteies just burning away <laughs> all of their their underclothes underneath their armor just disintegrates that's why they buy them in bulk packs <laughs> so what about phrases well just a couple of fun ones that apply to kind of that blacksmith aspect of fire giants that i found were i was born without claws without fangs without scales so i forged them in fire and crafted them in steel Ooh, that's good i like it that's good stuff and then another one I liked was, you cannot think your way into becoming great. You must hammer and forge yourself. Ooh, I want a fire giant to like kind of diss the magic user oh, in the yeah. group. Yeah. Just like, yeah, you can't think your way to greatness. <laughs> you got one of these? Yeah. This big ass hammer? I can smash you. <laughs> How about greetings? Well, I think you can kind of go with anything as far as a verbal greeting, like, uh, you know, hail or, you know, whatever that kind of, what's up? Howdy doodle do, dandy. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> I, I retract my statement. But I was really amused by the idea of giants doing something kind of aggressive as like a hello, kind of like a fist bump, but like one of those overly aggressive ones that kind of hurts. <laughs> and I also... Love the idea of giants not altering their greeting for anybody else. Right. Even if the giants are on kind of friendly terms with the adventurers, they still attempt to go for the fist bump. <laughs> and I love this running joke that you could probably play out with a group of adventurers that nobody wants to say goodbye to the giant or hello to the giant because he's constantly trying to fist bump them and he doesn't know <laughs> how to modulate his power and so just like everyone just gets fucking decked when they say bye. <laughs> so it's kind of like a uh, the party sees them coming. The giant's like stomping happily towards them. And it's like they push the wizard in front. And so I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Waiting to take 20 damages, just a hello or goodbye. Everyone steps back five steps. And the new guy says, uh, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, what about uh, thanks? When I was looking at pictures of forges, I found a ton of pictures where there's so many tools like hammers and tongs. Yeah. And I was kind of struck by how many there were. So I think a cool way of saying thanks could be these giants just giving each other a hammer, like nice. a forge hammer, not a not a battle hammer. Yeah. But if they gave that to a humanoid, it would almost be as big as a battle hammer. It would be an unwieldy battle hammer that <laughs> yeah. only Goliath could wield. Yeah, but I think that'd be kind of funny. Like the party's trying to do something with these hammers and not insult the giants. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, great. We're now we're dragging around 500 pounds of hammers. Yeah. 
Okay, so finally we need a positive, a negative, and a goodbye. What do you got? All right. So I think a positive thing that they'd say to one another is just like, it's kind of like saying you're on fire, and they could just say that. But it could be something like, your shield melts. Ah, nice. It's like, man, that was cool. Yeah. That was super dope. <laughs> Gnarly, man. Yeah, exactly. Your shield melts. <laughs> That's sick. Hopefully, fire giants don't have that voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're, brah, sup? Whoa. Uh, a negative. I like them not using that many words in all of their phrases. Yeah, short and sweet. Yeah, super to the point. So I think the negative would just be rust. Ooh. It's kind of like you're just sitting out rusting, and it's also the opposite of fire in a sense because things get rusty when they sit in the wet too long. Yeah, it's it's like you could curse somebody with it. You could uh, kind of you know be pissed at your own luck, like, ah, rust. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then goodbye uh, would just be maintain the forge. Because they're always planning for that ordning to be broken. Yeah. It's always in the back of their mind. They got to stay up. They got to keep making weapons. They got to keep perfecting all the time. Yeah. I dig it. All right. Well, I don't know. I, I think we've exhausted fire giants for now. I'm sure we'll come back with more ideas later. Oh, there's always more. But I think this is definitely enough to play out the culture in a satisfying way. And hopefully this is enough primer for you that if you're thinking about running a story with a giant in it, or Storm King's Thunder, that you can use the same culture creator to do whatever giant you need to. And going through this means that you're going to get more richness and your party isn't just going to see the giant coming and go, all right, blades out, because you've established that there is more to each and every culture to be explored. Yep. Let's go on to our next segment. That's kind of a weird, I think I mashed this one up a little weird. We've got kind of like a Grandma B's extra dimensional gateway, something like that. If you aren't familiar with our segments that much, that didn't make any sense, but. <laughs> no, not at all. It makes sense to us. This is the extra dimensional gateway. Okay, so you've got a historical figure that you want to turn into a badass giant? Yeah, and that's why we kind of landed on this, like, mashup of Grandma B's schoolhouse, historical figure, an extra dimensional gateway, let's make a cool NPC, and here, here we, we are. are. <laughs> <laughs> so, the let's start with a historical figure. So, Marie-Thérèse Figuier. Oh. Yeah. How French uh, of you. Yes. Well done. Uh... She was a badass. So the historical recollection of this, I feel, is probably easier if I just uh, give you an excerpt from Badass of the Week, which is a great website that is exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> so good. Well written. Really fun to read. You should check it out. Yeah. So Marie-Thérèse Figuier was a 22-year veteran of 20 military campaigns during the wars of Napoleon and the wars of the French Revolution. Wow. She survived being shot twice, slashed and stabbed four times with sabers, and had at least four horses shot out from under her, and was taken as a prisoner of war three times. The first time, her captors liked her so much that they tried to recruit her. 
The second time, she <laughs> fought her way out and escaped from an Austrian prison. And the third time, they just transferred her to house arrest in England for a year. And all that she really mentions in her memoirs about it is that British food sucks, but their <laughs> beer is an admittedly pretty decent. Shots fired. So known as Le Petit Sans Gin, I think I pronounced that correctly, meaning the little unconstrained one. Oh, good. She stood just five foot four and could swear like a mother effing little Wayne album. <laughs> she threatened to murder pretty much anyone who looked at her sideways and brushed off her cavalry units role in one of the greatest and most dominating tactical military victories of all time by simply saying, I did my little part in a great concert that we gave on the plains of Jena to those gentlemen's the Prussians. Oh. So, like, pretty humble. Weirdly humble. Wow. Weirdly like humble. Like, insultingly humble. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, awesome. Yeah, that was from Badass of the Week, where we go for inspiration when we need an NPC that feels a little bit more real. Yeah. So I want to introduce a potential D&D giantess named Tessrian. All right. Part of Marie-Therese's uh, story is that Basically, her whole thing was she just kept signing up for war. <laughs> she got let out or sent home because of an injury because she was shot in the chest once. And then after like four weeks or something like that, she was just, yeah, sign me up. I'm ready to go back. Just unstoppable. Couldn't yeah. quench her thirst for the front lines. Yeah. So she did this again and again and again. And then finally, when she actually retired... And I'm happy to say that she died an old woman, happy and running a fine dining restaurant. Right on. So I would love the idea of a giantess that the party can encounter running a dining hall slash ale house called The Unconstrained. <laughs> so this is a place for champions to come, sit down, have a great beer, a good meal, and she goes out and she takes on like what I would say regular adventurers would consider pretty dangerous prey. Okay. And she comes and brings him back, roasts him up, puts on some good grub. Yeah, she just talks about some of the battles that she's been in. And when, say, a group of adventurers come through this particular tavern, which I don't know, maybe you could like build it inside the unused den of a dragon or something like that. Oh. Like I'm thinking thick with smoke inside, rock walls that have a little bit of dampness inside the cave. So this is a location that you go to. Yes. This isn't like in the middle of town. No, no, no. This is, this is a destination. This is exquisite dining. Yeah. And this is a great place for weary travelers to stop and rest. And clearly, who knows what happened to the dragon that once lived in here, but maybe she took it out. I think she knows what happened oh, yeah. to it. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I'm thinking if they stop, uh, she can give them uh, pointers and tips on craft work and how to build stronger weapons. And then if the players happen to be on some kind of quest that she deems just crazy enough or just brave enough, then she will enlist yet again <laughs> and go out for another fight. Very cool. Yeah. It won't take much to sway her when you need her. 
No, it just need to promise a good fight. Yeah, it has to be big enough. Like if you're just taking on the local magistrate, that is a problem for little folk. Yeah. But if you're going up against something big and mean all the way in. Yeah. So the only thing that I would probably caution there is that I've seen this happen a few times in a few different forums, either Reddit or Facebook, where people are looking for advice because they introduced a DMPC or a Dungeon Master controlled player character that is meant to be kind of a guide for uh, a group. And then all of a sudden that DMPC becomes more powerful and kind of gets takes all of the the danger out of this stuff. Oh, right. And also takes the spotlight. Yeah. It kind of takes all the heroism out of what the player is doing. Yeah. So with these kind of characters, you have to be really careful that they're going to bow out to save the party. You know, the first big fight that they come up against, the giant is going to stop the crumbling stone archway from crushing the players. Oh, yeah. And the players have to go on their quest and the giant saved them. Great. You got to deal them out after the first couple of big fights before the players get to their actual end goal so that they can remain the heroes. Because if you have a fire giant going toe to toe, like you got to make the enemy big enough that it's still dangerous and that the party is the one that turned the tide of battle and all of that. So be really careful when you're using those. Have them be like pull a Gandalf. Yeah. Yeah. Gandalf pieces out when the drama gets intense. (laughs) Well, I mean, specifically with like falling off of a chasm fighting something. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, okay, that was badass. Thank you for taking care of that. We're going to go do all the the adventuring stuff now. (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad I didn't have to take care of the Balrog and I'll be back when you really need me. Yeah. I'll show up in a white cloak and (laughs) save your asses. (laughs) She doesn't come back as a frost giant. Let me tell you that much. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully that was enjoyable. You got some ideas for some big-ass giants. If you're a player, I sure hope you take the time to, uh, you know, go go risky. Try to actually converse with the fire giants. Maybe your DM isn't all that interested in giving you a really rich character to interact with, but just try because that's where the role play happens. As soon as you pull out the sword, the roleplay option is gone. You are now in combat town. Yeah. We truly just hope that this brings some depth to those fire giant moments. And keep in mind that this episode is a result of a a YouTube commenter coming to our Discord and having a conversation with us about fire giants. So this kind of stuff happens all the time on our Discord. Uh, why don't you come and join us? You can do it too. Tell us what to make an episode about and we just might. (laughs) All right. Unless it's nasty. Well, you can... (laughs) What are we making? (laughs) I don't know. We're not even getting into it. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. Thank you to Tabletop Audio, as always, for the sound effects you heard throughout this episode. Thanks Thanks for for listening. And And it's time for a hammer fight. Okay, put the hammer down. Never!